So this morning we're going to just actually expand a bit wider from where we were yesterday uh, and to look at the second foundation of mindfulness, the second patana, sati patana. Sati meaning mindfulness or remembrance or reflection or contemplation. We've contemplated the body. Um, and as you look at the body and you look at experience, you're already looking at what I'm going to tell you now, but we're going to look at it with a little bit of a sharper focus, and that is what's known as feeling. Feeling tone. Uh, and the word that they use, the word that comes from the Buddhist tradition, is called Vedana, which is quite of a different term than the way we think about feeling in English we use the word feeling in very, very many ways in English. I'm, I'm feeling hot, I'm feeling cold, I'm feeling happy, I'm feeling sad. Uh, I'm feeling preferences, I'm feeling uh, Italian over Chinese, I'm feeling... We use feeling in lots of ways that can make this teaching a bit complicated. So it's much more narrowly defined here. And it, it, it encompasses two aspects. Uh, and one is to feel, but also to know. So it's not just, a lot of people associate it too much with sensation. That's part of it, is sensation. Uh, we have feeling sensations that are pleasant, unpleasant, in, in the full range of what's in the middle. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, but there's also, there's, there's, a, there's a cognitive affect to that. There's, there's a sort of a knowing. We know how we feel mostly. You know, uh, there's, there's a knowing of that. But one thing that we don't usually understand, we're mindfulness of feeling, this feeling Vedana thing is a big, big topic in, in uh, early Buddhist thought. Uh, it's, one of, it's the second foundation of mindfulness. It's one of the five aggregates I spoke about last night. It's one of the key players in the game of dependent origination, which is another way to say it's a key player in the game of liberation. And, and it really also speaks to the way we understand the neural structure of the brain through evolutionary psychology, which again is this general assessment that we, as a system, a cognitive system, a living system, we, we want things to be pleasant and we want to avoid things that are unpleasant, of course. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But that gets really weird. That gets really, really extreme and really, really exaggerated uh, to the point where we, we, can, our, we can get on this, what they call the hedonic treadmill. We can just, in the, our entire society, our entire economy is thriving on this idea. Right? Our political system. If you vote for that person, you'll have an unpleasant experience. If you vote for this person, you'll have a pleasant experience. The whole thing is scattered everywhere. So what we're trying to do is trying to recognize that internally uh, and trying to really kind of change the paradigm about how we, how we behave so we're not being dictated by the pleasure-pain dichotomy all of the time. And so a huge part of that, you worked on that yesterday, trying to be kind and friendly to unpleasant sensations in the body is very counterintuitive. Very counterintuitive. A lot of what you did yesterday is very counter. You might have noticed that. You're like, oh, this is, this is hard and strange. And probably at moments you thought, why the hell would anybody do this to themselves? <laughs> right. So 
So this is a very, very strong, strong <laughs> impulse. Another way to say it, in, in a clinical sense, they use this word, I think it's a quite a good word, affect. Affective intelligence. It's being intelligent about how things affect us. And so feeling, Vedana, is also something that is present in every single moment of consciousness. It's everywhere. There's no getting away from it. It's a, it's a common mental factor. It's an aggregate. It's, it's in the mind. It's always... We always feel a certain way about things, and it might be somewhere in the middle, it might be ordinary or indifferent or neutral, but it's still there. Right? So there's so much uh, to work with. It's always present. It's also, the, again, the second foundation of mindfulness. So when we, when we uh, bring this awareness, this existential phenomenological experience of the body and the breath and sounds and our sensory experience, we notice that even the sound of a bird, we... we we categorize that as a pleasant or unpleasant sound. Right? It just happens. You don't, the thing about this also to keep in mind is feeling is uh, you don't have much say over that. Like you put food into your mouth and you bite into it. You don't decide, do I like this? Do I not like this? You just know immediately. Right? Feeling is just triggered by contact. We make contact with experience that triggers feeling. And there's not much you can do about that. You know, you get out of bed in the morning and you walk to the bathroom and you stub your toe on the post of the bed. You don't get to go, is this pleasant or unpleasant? Or how does it feel? No, it hurts. Ouch, I hate this. I should have put my slippers on. I should have turned the light on. Right? It's just, you know, this is not anything. So what the Buddha's trying to say is you need to be aware of this and then try to uh, respond differently try to acknowledge that this is how it is, that we are in, uh, we're in a, a highly, insanely, highly sensitive nervous system. Which is really, in many ways, I think when the Buddha's talking about Vedana, he's talking about that whole central nervous system that runs through the body. He's also talking about, and people get this confused, uh, he's not just talking about physical sensation. He's also talking about the, the mind door. You notice some of your thoughts are pleasant thoughts. Some of your thoughts are unpleasant thoughts. Right? Thoughts, memories. I have, I have pleasant memories I could tell you about. I have painful memories I could tell you about. I have pleasant ideas of the future. Unpleasant. So it's everywhere. Right? So in the second foundation of mindfulness, what we want to do is to just kind of recognize the feeling tone, the felt sense felt sense of this, and tried, tried to intervene with mindfulness uh, in the moment before we react to that feeling. There's a, um, probably many of you know this, there's a great quote, very famous quote in the mindfulness world from Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called The Man's Search for Meaning. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a gap. And in that gap lies our power to choose. This is exactly what he's talking about. Right? So we have a stimulus, we have a feeling, we have an, an arising, and then we, that's followed immediately by an impulse, right? A, 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 a grab it or get rid of it impulse. But if we can have this mindfulness intervention, we're like, okay, well, wait a minute here. Yes, this is painful, but maybe I can respond differently. 
maybe it's not as bad as I thought. There's a really wonderful teacher named Martine Batchelor, uh, Stephen Batchelor's wife, who has many, many talks in this. Her teachings on Vedana are really great. Because a lot of us, we have our, we have our bar set wrong to begin with. Like, you know, like I don't even know that things pleasant until it's like a pleasant number five. I don't even classify it as pleasant. So even like pleasant number one is kind of eh, not so great. But unpleasant number two is the end of the world. Right? So our, our barometer is just way screwed to begin with. Right? A lot of times we, you know, we explore, we investigate with, with curiosity the pain in our knee. We're like, yeah, my, my knee hurts a little bit. You know, I don't need to, to develop some, write some Hollywood screenplay about how this is the worst retreat ever because my knee hurts right now. <laughs> Which I'm sure you've done because you're laughing. Right? We just go into these like massive, massive screenplay writings about how this moment defines the entirety of my life. And it's like, well, actually, my, my, my knees, my back hurt at like unpleasant number three. And actually, 97% of my body and my experience is actually okay. Because the problem, one of, one of the problems is, and this is where the intervention comes in, is one of the ways to practice with this that I found to be helpful is if I call following the charge. And, and our attention, which is also in every single moment, it follows the charge. So the attention kind of hangs out and it's basically waiting for something to get rid of or something to pounce on. Right? As soon as something unpleasant happens, the attention races over to identify what it is. What is that? Right? So we can use that to our advantage to know that the attention is going towards uh, extremes of pleasure and pain. Now, the other thing that I'll push back on that you've probably heard before that I think is, is a bad move, and this is a Western invention, is usually when people talk about Vedana, they talk about it in three boxes. There's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. This whole neutral category is a, is a Western invention. It's not really, it's kind of a product of the insight world. It's not really an early discourse. And the way the Buddha talks about it is quite a bit different. It's a little bit more sophisticated. Because then we just, now we're just dealing with three things. But what we're dealing with is actually a spectrum. So on one hand, we have pain. and the other hand, we have pleasure. And then we have all this stuff in the middle. Right? So to say there's one, two, and three isn't really quite right. There's, there's intensification. So pleasure and pain, what makes them so difficult, and I'll talk about this tonight, is pain gives rise to aversion. Pleasure gives rise to craving. Neutrality or indifference uh, doesn't give rise so much to these charged concepts of mind. So there's a lot there for, to, to, for us to investigate that's quite helpful. Right. So we're dealing with, with the range. And, and the thing about pleasure and pain that make them complicated is they have intensification. There's, a, there's quite a bit of intensity. You know, the, the, we could, we could you know, even when you go to the doctor's office, the pain scale, right? That's a part of that we can assess how intense it is also with pleasure. But with indifference, ordinariness, mundane, the, actually the technical term for neutrality is neither. It's not neutral, it's, it's not painful, it's not pleasant, it's not either of those things, it's something else. There's no intensification. Yeah. Blah doesn't have... It can't be more blah. 
It's not more or less of that. There's just that. Now, the thing about it that's so interesting, it's so important, is this is really where, though actually one of the words for neutral is upeka, which is also another word, equanimity. So this is really the doorway to equanimity, to contentment, to stillness, to peace, to ease. Because if the mind doesn't have anything to get rid of or to jump onto, there's an opportunity for deep contentment, deep relaxation, deep stillness, or boredom, apathy, what's the point? Right. So it can go such a variety of ways when we're in this kind of middle zone of indifference. And the, the criteria for how it goes is mindfulness. So the theory is that when things are, let's just call them neither, when things are neither pleasure or pain and mindfulness is present, if you're aware of the neither experience, then you will feel at ease, you'll feel a resting, a deep contentment, an equanimity, an okayness. So in that mindfulness of neither, it becomes a pleasing, enjoyable, agreeable experience. If there is no mindfulness, if there's no awareness, it becomes boredom, it becomes apathy, it becomes maybe even despair. Um, so you have this huge 33%. You know, you can really, what I call, occupy the neutral zone. Because by occupying that zone, you're really, you're going from 66 to 33. You're, you, the math is way in your favor. But it's also hard to notice the neutral zone because there's no charge. And the attention follows the charge. And so when the attention is kind of like looking for something to resist or j jump onto, and there's no charge of it, the attention kind of gets, kind of, it gets disinterested, it gets confused, and it doesn't know what to do. It doesn't have anything to jump on or get rid of. And so if there's no mindfulness, then what happens is that will start to kind of cook up a little bit. Maybe you'll get a little bit anxious. You'll start thinking. The mind will start wandering. You'll, you'll miss out on an opportunity when the body is easeful, the emotion is still, right? Because there's no awareness of that. So we have to generally train, this is why we do this work. You're not just going to like bring mindfulness to the ordinariness of life and the neither experience. That's not just, you're not going to slip on a banana peel and have that happen. You have to work for that. So you probably notice, and this is the reality of the situation, is mostly things are neither. The word I would also use would be ordinary. Life is very ordinary. Much of my day is ordinary. I wake up, I turn on the coffee pot, I wait for the coffee to brew. I hope the kids don't wake up. <laughs> you know, the kids wake up. I get them dressed. I give them some food. I drive, drive them to school. I drive them home from school. I, a lot of the time of the day, we think we're so busy, but a lot of the busyness is you just kind of going from one activity to another. There's lots of kind of dead zones in, the, in life in the day, and we fill those up with, with, with thinking. So we, we actually miss out on this experience much of the time. When you get in the car and drive to where you're going, the whole time you're thinking about where you're going, what you're going to do when you get there. Right. 
And so this is like really a great habit to interrupt. And so we're really much dictated by this experience. So again, learning how to follow that charge is kind of a hint I can give you that, you know, your, your attention will likely follow that wherever the biggest charge of Vedana is in the system, the attention will go there. So if there's anything that's unpleasant or painful or disagreeable or uncomfortable, the attention is going to go there and probably try to fix it. And all the other aggregates will go there. The perception will go there. The habituation will go there. And we'll try to... And so we're going to get caught in craving, wanting wanting something to be here that's not here. Right? And if, if it's... Uh, so we, we, we are, we're set up for this. This is, again, this isn't some bad, wrong thing. This is not your fault. This is like... This is just kind of how the mind does... And it has many benefits too. Like we want this, we don't want to like shut this down. You want to eat when you're hungry and you want to drink when you're thirsty. Like this does have a survival uh, aspect to it that's very, very important, but it gets very extreme and very exaggerated. And when you live in the modern world, which I actually don't think we are evolutionarily prepared for, you know, you start throwing, you know, we have phones and Amazon.com and 500 different, you know, fast food places. Like, we are not equipped to handle, handle modern living, I don't think. I don't feel like I am. That's why I live 45 minutes away from a traffic light in rural Colorado. I don't have to worry about this stuff because there's nothing to do where I live. Right? Just being in, uh, being flying through Dallas and coming through Greenville, I was like, oh, wow. Cars and people and stuff and stores is weird. My nervous system can't handle it. So we'll do a practice. Um, I'm not going to say much more than that. I think you get it. This is conceptually, this is really easy, right? This is not very uh, profound, uh, but experientially, again, a lot of times, this, this, this is what makes Dharma practice so hard. A lot of these concepts. We hear them, we read about them, like, oh yeah, well, that totally makes sense. But trying to bring it from the concept into the application of working with it, that's really the harder part, which is why these, having these multi-day retreats is so great, because you have all this time to really try to apply this stuff and be like, wow, I really don't like unpleasant. I remember, I remember like hearing this when I was like 19. I remember Joseph Goldstein giving a talk on Vedana, and I was like, oh my God. Like, oh, it was so obvious. I was like, I'm an idiot. I had no idea. I'm like, of course I like pleasant and don't like unpleasant. Like, I, I, of course I know that, but I didn't realize at all that I could somehow intervene. I was just like, I just do what my mind tells me. Have you ever lived this way? Right? It's like, you know, it's like, I don't know why I am so quick. My mind throws up information and I just buy it. It's like scrolling. I'm like, yep, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, get that, get rid of that. Why do we believe it? I don't believe anything else that anybody else says. How can I be the only person who has a clue? So part of it is really trying. So we're kind of expanding a little bit some more. So really want to keep that stillness that focus, that mindfulness in the body, because what happens, and you'll notice this, so just to kind of say this, as we open into feeling, and tomorrow when we open into the mind, 
what one of the learning curves is that as you you open up, you're more likely to get tripped up into thinking about things. So you might find that like part of the earlier part of the day, the learning curve is like, oh, I'm getting caught up in thoughts more, and that's just kind of how that goes. Right? So we're not we're not we're, we're yesterday we're kind of restricting that attention a little bit, right? Like just stay in the sensory experience. Now we're giving it a little bit more, and so when it gets a little bit more, it tries to take more. So I just kind of watch that a little bit. And so if you find that you're getting lost in thought or like the instructions are confusing, like what are you talking about? Just go back to what worked yesterday. Right? And so we just kind of, it's kind of two steps forward, four steps back kind of. Uh, and you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll have moments where, you're, where you'll, you'll get a sense of that. But really the main point <clears throat> is to bring mindfulness to the neutrality, to the indifference, to the ordinariness. And try to, and, and really developing that contentment, that non-reactive space, because when things are neither, we have this rich opportunity, because so much uh, of our cognitive cra- craving and aversion doesn't get into the picture when there's nothing to get or to get rid of. And that, you'll find that that's probably a big portion of the day is that kind of experience, and so don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs>